Let's look at Judges 6, verse 22, just momentarily. You remember Gideon has uh, had a visitor, a messenger, an angel appears to him, and the angel is saying to Gideon, go in the power of the Lord and you are going to win the victory. Now, humanly speaking, there is no reason at all why Gideon, why Gideon would think, well, first of all, why would God want me? I'm not a professional soldier. Why would God want me? And I know myself, I mean, I actually hide in a wine press to thresh grain because I, I don't want the Midianites to see me. That's not, don't, don't you want a, a more bold and courageous leader than, than me? And how can I possibly win the victory? Look at, look at the Midianites, how powerful they are. Their army is enormous and, and they harass us, particularly in the season when we harvest or want to harvest our crops. They come in and, and they trample on them and we're, we're in a bad, we're in bad shape around here. And you're saying to me, I'm the one that's to lead the charge against the Midianites. And that's what the angel's saying. And the angel's saying, don't be afraid, Gideon. The Lord is with you. The Lord is going to empower you. The Lord's going to give you wisdom and courage. And you're going to win the victory. And you know, Gideon doesn't have a hearing problem. He hears that. The challenge is in his heart. And it's the same with, it's the same with most of us, quite frankly, isn't it? Uh, there aren't many times when I can say, well, I just didn't hear the Lord say anything. No, I hear him. <laughs> I hear him. It's just, I don't want to do it, or I have doubt, or I'm afraid. And that's basically where we walk in life. So, that's Gideon. Look at verse 22. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. So, we know what he's thinking. A couple of verses down, he thinks, this is it, I'm going to die. I've seen an angel of the Lord face to face. I'm, I'm as good as dead. Right now. Well, no. It says in verse uh, 23, But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. My word. How many times is that in Scripture? Do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Here it is. Peace, do not be afraid. You're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar. His response is worship. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day... The day of the writing of Judges, it stands in Ophrah of the Abizrites. And, and so that's where we landed last week. Gideon now has, has peace in his heart, listening to the message of the angel. He, he builds an altar and calls it the Lord is peace. And this is really his first act of faith. Won't be his last, but this is his first act of faith in the building of this altar. So now we come to verse 25 of chapter 6, and we're going to see through verse 32 that Gideon stands firm. This is very important, what he does. So I'm going to read 25 to 32, then we'll very briefly discuss this passage. Then we're going to look at 33 to 40, where Gideon asked for a sign. So he's still struggling. He asked for a sign. Gideon's fleece. And then we're going to come to chapter 7 and uh, Gideon and his 300. Oh, I love chapter 7. It's an amazing chapter. So let's see how quickly we can get there. Verse 25 of chapter 6. That same night, 
The Lord said to him, that is to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. The Lord's very specific. Tear down your father's altar to Baal. I'm going to repeat that. Tear down your father's altar to Baal. Oh, Gideon wasn't raised in a Christian home, was he? I mean, so to speak. He wasn't raised in a, in a home that honored God. So that makes the story of Gideon even more amazing, the fact that he is a God lover, a God truster, a God follower, even though he was raised in a home where his father worships Baal. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole uh, beside it. It's, it's a wooden pole that was a symbol of the goddess of fertility, Asherah. So just my saying, the goddess of fertility, Asherah, probably gives you some images in your mind. So you probably want to get rid of those images pretty quickly. Tear down your father's altar and cut down the Asherah pole. Verse 26, then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Now, that proper kind of altar would have been one of stone. Now, verse, finish that verse. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So the Asherah pole now becomes, instead of a place of pagan worship, it's going to be firewood for the offering to God. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning, when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son, he must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Now, the, the answer, the response of, of, of Joash is really startling and amazing. Here's what he says. He replies to the hostile crowd around him. Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So... Because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Zerubbabel that day, saying, let Baal contend with him. Or that name means let Baal contend. So let Baal contend with him. So let's stop at verse 32. Um, here's the statement that Gideon makes in doing what he did at the instruction of God. He is making a statement And it isn't lost on anybody who lived in town. And here's the statement. God is greater than Baal. That's the statement. God is greater than Baal. The God of Israel is greater than Baal. Now, Joash, Gideon's father, is approached by the townspeople who are not happy. And they want him to do something to his son. And Joash's response is amazing. He says, if Baal is real, he can defend himself. Now, Joash didn't say, I'm no longer a Baal follower. 
but listen carefully to his words, and at the very least you can see he is beginning to wonder because of the actions of his son. He says if, if Baal is real, he can defend himself. And it is an insult worthy of death to try and defend him. That's, that's what he means by anybody who does something will be killed by morning. He's saying it's an insult worthy of death to take it upon yourself to defend Baal. He doesn't need defending. If he is real, he'll take care of this himself. So the fact that Baal didn't do anything is conclusive proof that Baal doesn't even exist. And you have to wonder at that point, as he waits and watches and nothing happens, does Joash look at his son and say, wow, son, tell me some more about this God of yours. Well, I know the scripture doesn't go into all of that, but would that surprise you? It would not, it would not surprise me at all. Now, Gideon has made a statement. You know, in those days, the power of a God that didn't even exist, but in the eyes of people he did, the power of a God is often portrayed to people by the magnificence of their altars and the offerings that were made on those altars and the so-called sacredness of those altars and the power that they represented. So the worshipers of Baal, including Gideon's father, saw Baal as powerful. This is a big altar and an Asherah pole and our God Baal is greater than your God. So when they wake up and their altar has been destroyed and a bull's been offered to the one true living God, what's the message that they get? Well, that is an insult to our God. So let's take care of Gideon. And Dad, you do it. And Joash says, if Baal's real, you don't need to do anything. I don't need to do anything. Let's watch Baal. He'll take care of it. Does that remind you of another story about Baal? Who am I thinking about? Elijah. Thank you. Elijah, who did war with the prophets of Baal. You remember it? He said, he said let's, uh, let's see which God responds, the God of Israel or, or Baal. And so dance and... Dance around and let's see what Baal will do. Who's going to send fire on the altar? You remember the story. So all the prophets of Baal, they get all excited and they do all their thing around the altar. Nothing happens. So Elijah taunts them and said, maybe he's on vacation. (laughs) Maybe Baal's asleep. Wake him up. Yell a little louder. Nothing happened. So, you know, Elijah says, okay, well, let's see if my God will respond. Let's see if the God of Israel will respond. Pour water on the altar. Well, you don't pour water on something before you set fire to it. Pour water on the altar. Let's see, let's see what God will do. Well, you know the rest. God sent fire and which God was non-existent? Baal. So that's sort of a story similar that we see here in the life of Gideon. Now, it's time, it's time to do what God wants Gideon to do to lead the people. So it's time.
And Gideon is still nervous. And far be it from me to be critical of Gideon. If I walked in his shoes, I think it would be the height of folly for me to say, I wouldn't have been nervous. Bring him on. Now, look at verse 33. So here, here we go. Now, all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan. That's the Jordan River. And camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. And he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abyssalites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, so that they went too went up to meet them. So he's calling some of the tribes to join him. Now Gideon said to God, "I mean, it's it's time. I mean, in the morning this is going to happen." So. Gideon says to God, if, if you will save Israel by my hand as you had promised, look, I, I, will, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. I want you to take note of the infinite patience and grace of God. He had every right to really get upset with Gideon. But what happens, and that's what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. I mean, God says, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to really soak that fleece. So we got a whole bowl full of water out of squeezing it. Now you think, okay, Gideon's ready. Mm, Not yet. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. At least he owns up to the possibility that his wavering would cause God to get angry. Do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Okay. So we're ready to make a move. It's time for war. Gideon is still puzzled, and he is, it's a mixture, I think, we see the humility of Gideon, so I think it's a mixture between recognizing his own shortcomings, his own frailty, his own humanity, and still not being absolutely sure if God means what he says. So there's this tension for Gideon. So the fleece, the dew on the fleece, ground dry, If you do that, I'll know. God did it, and he says, do it again, except the fleece dry and the ground wet. God did it again. So chapter 7 gives us the result, and we'll see the incredible way that God works for his glory as they go to by the springs of Herod, and and the battle is on. Now here's a final note before we go to chapter 7. The fleece is really not about decision-making. It's Gideon asking God to mightily reveal himself and his power. Build my faith. That's what he's saying. Build my faith. Does that remind you of a New Testament story? Build my faith. Mark chapter 9. Jesus healing a boy possessed of an impure spirit. 
and and you remember the boy's father is conversing with Jesus. Jesus, how long has he been like this? Been like this since childhood, and, and so he says, "If you can, would you help me?" And, and Jesus said, "If I can, everything is possible to one who believes." What does the father say? He's standing before Jesus, wants his son healed. What does he say? I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Help thou mine unbelief. Have you been there? In something in life? Lord, I do believe. Oh, Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, I do believe. Oh, help my unbelief. I think we've all been there. And so that's what Gideon is facing, but now he's ready. Chapter 7 is a decisive Gideon. So, one of the great stories of Scripture. Let's look at chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. So, early in the morning, Zerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Harod. Um, One of the places that you can go today in Israel is the spring of Harod. And the water bubbling up. Springs of Harad, and like Gideon's men are about to do, you can drink from that spring if you want to, and they assure you it's okay. You don't have to be afraid of it. You can drink from it. So you can cup your hand and lick it, or you can get on your knees, stick your face in it. But it's fascinating to be there and to look around and see this vast open field big enough to hold an army, and see the mountains in the background and the valley in between, exactly as it's described here in Scripture. Gideon's men on the high plain, mountains in the distance, between them and and the mountains, a a valley, and that's where the Midianites were. Okay? So, the camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moray, and the Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. Sir, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. We'll come back to that in a minute. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred of them drank from cupped hands lapping like dogs, all the rest got down on their knees to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. We'll stop there. This is getting amazing. Watching God work. So we're at the spring of Harad, uh, big field beside them where they're, they're, they're camping. 
crystal clear cold water bubbling up out of the ground, the mountain valley to the north. Gideon can look down and see the Midianites, but they can't look up and see him because he's on the plain and all he has to do is step back from the edge and they can't see him, but they know he's there. And he knows they're there. So now God's going to thin the ranks. That doesn't make human sense, does it? Doesn't make human sense. There are 32,300 soldiers. Do the math. 32,300 soldiers. And if I don't thin the ranks, when you win the victory, they're going to say, we did it in our own strength. Israel won by our own strength. And uh, God says, that's not going to happen. This is for my glory. Do you remember similar story? Do you remember Samson when, and we'll get to him, we're heading towards Samson. Do you remember when the, the Philistines said, what is the source of his strength? Have you ever thought about that? You know, we draw pictures, paintings of Samson, show him as a bodybuilder. Was he? I don't think so. I mean, if a 6'3", 280-pound bodybuilder walks in that door right there and we look at him, we're not going to say, where does his strength come from? It's obvious <laughs> we know where his strength comes from. But they had to ask of Samson, where does his strength come from? I think he looked very ordinary. Very ordinary. And what he did was because of God, not because of him. Now here, God is saying, if I don't thin the ranks and you win this victory, I know what you're going to do. I know human nature. I know you Israelis. (laughs) I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, we did this. What a mighty army we are. Ragtag bunch of untrained soldiers. We won the victory. So God says, I'm not going to let that happen. When this is all done, you're going to say, look what God has done. So he thins the ranks by saying, if you're scared, you can go home. Now, the only thing that marvels me about this is that only 22,000 left. (laughs) There were 10,200 liars who stayed. Ask any man who's been in combat, ask any woman who's ever been in combat, were you scared? The answer is all, the only answer I've ever gotten is yes. I've never had one say, nah, I wasn't worried. They were all scared, but 22,000 said, we're, here's our out, we're leaving. So that leaves 10,200. <laughs> so, um, what is, you know, with all this going on, what does that say about most of those 22,000 who left? They weren't expecting to win. <laughs> they were expecting to lose and, and probably get killed in the process. So they aren't a confident lot of men at this point. So 10,000 plus remains, that's still too many. And God has a most unusual way of culling it down to where he wants it to be. So in verse 4, he says, listen to me, Gideon, watch them drink. Take them over to the springs. Time to get a drink. Watch them drink. The men are thirsty. The sun is shining. They just set up camp. 
They're tired. They're thirsty. The sun has been warm. Watch them drink. Their nerves are on edge. There's fear in their hearts. So watch them drink, and that's how we're going to call this down more. Those who lap water like dogs in cupped hands, we're going to keep because their hands become like a dog's tongue. Now, this is not, you know, you read that and you think, wait a minute, I don't know if I understand that, but, but here's what the keepers did. They got their hand, one hand or the other, got their hand in the water, and they drank it, standing up. Their, and their hands were like a, like a dog's tongue. Okay, do, I, do you want me to make more noise? So, what did the other guys do? That's what they did. They stuck their face in the water. My last trip to Israel, I watched. <laughs> you're out. You're in. You're out. <laughs> so, okay. So, they, 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 um, that was his decision. Now, I know a lot of things could be said about that, like, okay, the guys who cup their water, they're vigilant. Scripture doesn't. Say that, but I mean, that's humanly speaking. We think, okay, they're vigilant, so they're still looking while they're drinking. The guys who buried their face in the water, they don't know what's going on. Uh, maybe that's a message that's being delivered here, but you know, I don't even really buy into that, and here's why. It really doesn't matter. Military stance and preparedness is not the issue. God's glory is the issue. And, and so this is God's way of dividing them. Whatever their stance may say, this is God's way of dividing them. And the reign of terror of the Midianites is about to come to an end. So most of them, 10,000 of them, get down on their knees, bury their face in the water to drink. And God says to Gideon, send them home. At least 300 Oh my, oh my, we, we had um, three to four times that number in church Sunday, 300 is what's left. Now, mm, just I'm getting, just getting started, God's ways are not our ways, are they? To us, this makes no sense, you got, you got... 32,200 men and you're going to send home 32,300 men and you're going to send them home? Most of them? God is clearly saying, trust me. A famous preacher I know recently said in a sermon, common sense does not necessarily equal God's will. Anybody remember hearing that? Well, here's an example of that. This does not make common sense. Common sense does not always equal God's will. So God says in verse 7, I will save you. I will save you. Did you notice that? I will save you. So the 300 took needed provisions, which were what? Bow and arrow, spears, swords, rifles. No. No. Trumpets. And jars. Okay, God. <laughs> you know, I don't quite get this. We had a pretty good sized army here. You've sent almost all of them home. 
And now we're going to fight this battle with jars and trumpets. I mean, old Gary Bledsoe would be right up there. He'd be the general, wouldn't he? He's got a trumpet. I couldn't play a trumpet if my life depended on it. So how in the world is this going to happen? Now, I'll leave you with this. Imagine World War II and D-Day. General Eisenhower says, most of you can go home. We're going to beat the Germans with jars and trumpets. Well, President Roosevelt would be replacing Ike and saying, poor old Ike, he lost his mind. So we got to have a new general. Well, this is the way it's coming down. 300 men with jars and trumpets. 300 men with jars and trumpets and God. And the victory is about to be won. Now, next time we'll pick up with verse the latter part of verse 8. God is going to give, without being asked this time, God is going to give Gideon one more assurance of victory. It's going to be by a dream, the definition of a dream. So we'll see that next time. And then that will be followed by the battle, which really could hardly be termed termed a battle. It's like noise and light show and they run. So that's sort of what, that's sort of what happens. And it's exciting how God does this. Utterly amazing. So for us, trust God. Trust God. Sometimes He gives us opportunities or tells us things to do and we think, I can't do that. We can't do that. God said, yeah, you can. I told you to. That's all you need to know. I told you to. So do it. And, and I'll take care of all the details. I'll take care of the power and you just take care of the obedience. So we see it again and again in Scripture, including in this story. So I'm sorry I've kept you almost too late, but um, thank you for being here. We'll pick up there next time. Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who dwells in us as believers. Father, I I don't really have a hearing problem. I hear you. I know what you want me to do, and we, we know what you want us to do. So, Father, I pray that our hearts would submit, that we will obey. And, Father, we know that the power is yours and the victory is yours for your name's honor and glory. Keep us safe as we go home or to our places of responsibility. Bring us back together again next week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. See you. Have a good afternoon.